0: I'm D. Brown, CEO, and welcome to this episode of Self Made. My guest today is Joshua Gunn. Joshua is the president and CEO of the Peoria Chamber of Commerce. Joshua, welcome to Self Made, I'm glad to have you. Happy to be here, brother, thank you. Man, you have such an interesting uh, life story, and I want to start at the very beginning. Sure. Uh, Growing up in Durham, just talk to me about your childhood and what it was like.
1: Yeah, man, Um, Yeah, born and raised in Durham, North Carolina, great community to grow up in. Um, a city that has a rich history, specifically a rich black history, which I think is embedded in every black child that's born in Durham. Right. So you'll hear a lot of that in my story. Proud, proud of our heritage. Yeah. Uh, my father was also born and raised in Durham. My mother's actually from Germany. Okay. Right. So sort of this interesting dynamic of German mom, uh, black fathers in the south. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Um, in the the Durham in the 90s was kind of a tough place economically, so we had all the challenges um, that you would think of in terms of a city with some economic challenges, right? right? So, you know, crime just around the corner, you know, uh, just a lot of significant challenges. But I was fortunate in that uh, my mom and dad uh, were very focused on education uh-huh. uh, My father struggled with quite a few things. He struggled with addiction. He was a, a Vietnam vet So he had some challenges and issues that I think prevented him from being as present as he wanted to be yeah. uh, But he always made sure that uh, when he was there he instilled a positive message in us and believed in me and and um, I think he saw a talent in me early on and is one of the reasons why I was able to push through and make my dreams come true. So, uh, you know, pretty good childhood, man, in spite yeah. of, you know, I could tell you some challenging stories. Yeah, we right? would like to but, hear some of them. But, you know, um, for the most part. Uh, in spite of, you know, my dad's addiction was probably the biggest challenge for our family, right? Yeah. Uh, and I don't know if you know anyone who's had a drug addicted parent, but uh, it impacts every single person in the household, right? right? Not only financially, which is the way I think most people think about it, uh, we didn't have a ton of money. Uh, my dad was a mailman, full time mailman, so uh, we ate. Right. Yeah. And we we were clothed and he, we were taken care of. But his addiction certainly impacted some of those things uh, and made for a tumultuous household.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, for, for from which music was my escape. Right. I was right. able to uh, find my voice through hip hop music and uh, also find kind of a, an escape from the house. I spent a lot of time at the radio station, a lot of time uh, performing or yeah. going to performances. Yeah. Just trying to escape what was a lot of noise and, and, and scary times at the house. Um, and music was that refuge, yeah. and I also think music was the refuge for me f- uh, to avoid making some other decisions, right? To to avoid being on the corner or in the streets where some of some of the guys I grew up with ended up. Right? right. Music was that safe space. It uh, really kept me out of trouble and kept me grounded. So when did you de- uh, first develop a love for music? man, I started making hip hop music at seven years old, believe it or not. Uh, I have an older brother who was rapping at the time. He's uh, seven years older than me. So he was already in high school when I started rhyming and I just wanted to be around him, right? You know, thinking about, which I just told you about all the things that are going on at home. You know, my big brother was my safety blanket, right? I wanted to be close to him and shoot, if I can rhyme with him and his homeboys, maybe they'll bring me along. Um, But it was clear at a really young age that I um, had a skill and a talent for it, right? It's one of those things in my life that just comes really easy. Yeah. You know, uh, I watched a Jay-Z interview, for instance, and he was like, uh, I knew it was the right thing for me because I didn't have to work at it. It just happened. Yeah. Right. And I, and I don't mean that I didn't have to work at building a career. No, I understand. But creating yeah. music is just was second nature for me, even at seven years old. Right. So what, what was high school like? Uh, High school was all about hip hop for me, man. By that time, uh, I was fully into it. I signed my first contract at 13. So by the time I got to high school, everybody knew me for rhyming. Um, I spent most of my high school days uh, skipping class to battle rap. Um, (laughs) And interestingly enough, I had a teacher, though, uh, who was uh, the dramatic arts teacher, the theater teacher at my school, uh, who used to see us skipping class to battle. And she did something that I think was pivotal in my life. Uh, I was probably on a path D to I don't think I was going to drop out, but I wasn't going to graduate with decent grades. I was just probably going to be very mediocre. Right. And she saw me just killing it. Battle raps. I mean, crushing everybody that came in my way. Right. And I was a little awkward, you know, light skinned kid with a bunch of curly hair on my head at the time. And uh, battle rap just made me feel like a superhero. She pulled me to the side and she said, hey, instead of skipping class, she was like, "Uh, why don't you guys use your uh, free period? We had a free period in Uh high school to come to my room because the the principals and everybody would always break up our battles. You come to my room, the the drama room, and y'all can just have free reign of the room. And we created this battle rap club in the theater room uh, and really made us want to come to school now. We got this room. Everyone prepared their rhymes. And her name is Miss Hines, by the way. Miss Hines. Is probably the reason why I graduated with better grades and why I got re-engaged into school. Miss Ms. Rhymes, Miss Hines. Hines, okay. Because I knew I could come to her class and, and spit my rhymes. So, um, for me, you know, I wasn't a great athlete. I tried to hoop a little bit, the, yeah. but uh, music was the thing that I built my brand on. Music and performing. I ended yeah. up getting into uh, plays. I did musicals thanks to Miss Hines. She let me rap in a Shakespeare play, right? Really? Like, okay. really invested in me in, in, a, in a way that um, helped me get through high school. And especially with all the stuff that was going on at home, high school was really the the, the height of my father's addiction, the height of the stress between my mom and dad. Yeah. And so giving me something to, to feel positively about, uh, Miss Hines helped a lot and, and kept me in school.
0: So you went on, uh, graduated, graduated from high school, went mm-hmm. on to college and music was still a big part of your life when you went to college. Yep. So kind of take me from uh, college. Uh, and how music was part of your life on campus at uh, North Carolina A&T. And then take me through how you launched your professional career.
1: Sure. So uh, one thing I will mention that'll be a good transition point to high to from high school to college. Okay. While I was in high school to me and two of my friends released an album as a group called The Third Day. On that album, we had production from uh, Ninth Wonder, Crisis, and Nicolet. All three of those guys today are Grammy Award-winning producers. Ninth Wonder, probably the most uh, famous of the three that I just mentioned, he's worked with Jay Z, Beyonce, one of the biggest hip hop producers of all time, right? Yeah. And we had an album with him at 15 years, 16 years old. Uh, that album uh, reached global status online. I think we did half a million. Uh, Illegal downloads this was before you could download legally. Yeah Uh, half a million rapid-share illegal downloads within the first year Uh, And most of them were internationally, right? So we're we're in high school. We've got this international notoriety We're being booked to perform all over the country Uh, And then all of a sudden all of our parents say well, you're not rich enough to stay here You better go to college right and uh, the 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 record deal situation that I had it sort of blown up by that time and so um, I made the choice to go to A&T um, because uh, I got a chance to go there to their freshman orientation, and you know HBCUs are just magical for me in that way. Yeah. Um, but when I got to a I wasn't really thinking about the academics. I was still thinking about uh, biding my time to build this music career. Right. And so I hit the yard and did exactly what I did at, in high school. I found battles, I found people to, to battle. Uh, and just to build my, my notoriety, started to perform at clubs in, in Greensboro, which is where A&T is. Yeah. And it really only helped sort of build my following with uh, the beautiful thing about HBCUs, as you know, is you got black people from all over the world, right. Caribbean, all over the country. Right. They get my CDs and taking them back home on vacations. And now we're building a much bigger fan base. Uh, so it's sort of built in following at at A&T.
0: Right. And so uh, you, you attend A&T, you graduate. Mm-hmm. Uh, from the university and so what's your next career move?
1: Yeah, so once I graduated, I wanted to go full-fledged into hip-hop, right? Um, I, I worked a million different jobs in the process, though. Uh, I want to be transparent about the process, right? So yeah. I don't come from any sort of wealth, so it's like eat what you kill, right? You got to go and work. Uh, and I've always had the ability to communicate, so I've picked up jobs doing sales or whatever I needed to do yeah. to pay the bills until uh, we started to get some traction. So we being my partner, Rashad, who's uh, my frat brother and really good friend, we started our own, own company together. Well, while we were at a and yeah um, 2008 is when i graduated by 2009 we released a new project and that project was just picking up steam really really fast so by 2010 i'm head down all the way back into hip-hop right and so yeah. we were doing we did something called the bet music matters tour Um, BET each year selects artists that they think are up and coming and are going to be the next wave. Uh, We were picked for that campaign Uh, that gave us the opportunity to really elevate our profile. Uh, We were featured in, you know, 50 magazines, double XL, the source vibe uh, and really just built the momentum from there. And uh, quite honestly, D from then until 2018 or so, I was head down, making music. Right. Yeah. In between that, though, right. It's, it's interesting because you're performing, you're creating music, but then there's this entire other life. Right. right, right. Uh, and I've always been passionate about community issues. Uh, I, my music is conscious. It talks about Uh, Some of it's conscious some of it's just fun But most of it talks about issues that are are important to me and one of those issues is economic equity, right? I can I can visually see this gap between uh, Black people this wealth gap between black people and and white Americans, right? And so how can I change that? It's just one, one way is to just continue to achieve my own personal success but the other way is to lean into helping make sure that we do the macro level work to make systems more equitable. Uh, so I moved into the downtown in my hometown 2013 um, and that downtown was changing rapidly. Right. So I described for you the Durham of my childhood, which was economically a challenged place. Yeah, Durham today is, is probably the most expensive city in the state of North Carolina and certainly the most economically uh the most the best example of economic growth in North Carolina but the gap between haves and have not have nots is huge right
0: still huge and so
1: I had some notoriety a name some recognition from my music career especially at home right uh, you know, I w- I was never a big huge global superstar But I have a following, you know as an independent artist and that really resonated back home So how do I use that? Well, I want to use that to, to contribute to improving the conditions of the people that I'm most passionate about and a- advocating for marginalized people started with community organizing uh, Started three festivals in my hometown one called black August in the park uh, with four of my friends uh, centered around creating safe spaces for black people in a rapidly gentrifying community, uh, which Durham is. Uh, those spun off into a black business festival called the Black Market and then the black farmers market where we support black farmers. Yeah. Uh, so made enough noise and started to see the economic piece of or really the science of economics and how it impacts people. And I developed a passion for that and got invited to a meeting with the Chamber of Commerce in Durham in 2016, And uh, was still pretty knee deep in who I was as an artist, but also that really developing this new passion. Right. And one of the things that one of my mentors, MC Light, told me is, you know, don't stifle or don't stifle your passions. Right. You can be passionate about multiple things at once. And just because you do music doesn't mean you can't do other things. And that resonated with me. Got offered a job at the chamber to help do economic development as the VP uh, in Durham. And the rest is history, man. I love this work. I love what it can do to improve the conditions of communities uh, and uh, start in 2020. I took the job in Peoria as the CEO.
0: So where do you think you developed the, the passion uh, to try to close that wealth gap and to uh, really fight for uh, social uh, equity?
1: Yeah. That, uh, one of the things that music gave me D was the ability to see the world. Uh-huh. Right. And you know, performing in places like Seoul, Korea, and going to Thailand and uh, all over Europe, yeah. right? You start to really see the world. Uh, you know, realize the world's bigger than your backyard. World is bigger than America. The way that we do things in here, in America, uh, some of them are fantastic, but they're not the only way to approach right. sort right. of social issues. And so, just exposure to that, and and just this constant curiosity about um, why some people live some one way and why others. Live a different way, meaning uh, some people have access to all the resources and some people don't. Right. Right. And there are various personal issues. Right. You know, the work ethic and those things that we all have applied to help overcome our own circumstances. Right. But there's also uh, the reality is there's also systemic issues at play. And many of the people who have access to all the resources aren't necessarily those who earn them. Right. Or right, who worked as hard to get them. Right. So how do we create a society that is actually a meritocracy that is based on, you know, the old adage, if you work hard enough, you can get there. And I think we do that by closing the, those inequities. So that passion just came from being a conscientious observer of the yeah. world. And uh, look, man, in my time here on this planet, I just want to help make people's lives better. Right. And, and that's, this is this is my passion.
0: So who, I guess, growing up, uh, helped mentor you or inspire you to become socially uh, conscious?
1: Man, that's such a great question. And I think about that all the time is it, it wasn't something that we talked about at home. Right. You know, right. Um, but one of the things I will say about my dad, even though, you know, pops was either working or, or dealing with his addiction challenges and often gone in the garage. He had this great book collection. And one of the first books that I snatched out of there was the autobiography of Malcolm X, Alex Haley's book. Right. And I think I might have been 14 when I opened that book. He also had a bunch of records, so I always dig through my dad's old records and read his old books. That book really sparked, I think, who i become today. And even though my dad never gave it to me, you know, I kind of took it from his collection. I give him a little bit of credit for even having that. And uh, as my dad got older and, and, and got clean, we've had several conversations about how that book impacted his life as well. So. Uh, It was reading. It was uh, hip hop music. Folks like Public Enemy. Yeah. Uh, My first manager, D, when I was 13, was Terminator X, who was the DJ for Public Enemy. Mm -hmm. And right. So exposure to him and sort of that revolutionary mindset that Public Enemy was known for. um, All of that, you know, rappers like Common, um, exposure to those folks helped me really understand consciousness in a different way.
0: So uh, you touched on the wealth gap uh, in the country and we obviously know that it's um, there's a significant uh, wealth gap gap between communities of color mm-hmm. uh, and and uh, white communities. Uh, what's your 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 position on on that, and and how do you think we can collectively uh, work towards closing that gap?
1: Yeah, uh, the gap. My perspective first is that the gap is alarming, right? Um, I heard a stat yesterday. This is Boston, Massachusetts. The average. Median net worth of a white family in Boston, Massachusetts, in 2021, is 264,500 dollars. The the median net wealth of a black family in Boston, Massachusetts, in 2021, is eight dollars. Wow. That's a gap. Astonishing. Right. Astonishing. Uh, And that is that's a pretty significant gap. But I think on a national scale, it's somewhere between uh, the average wealth of a white family is one hundred thousand dollars. The average wealth of a a black family is somewhere around six thousand dollars. Right. Still
0: astonishing. Still astonishing. Yeah.
1: Um, And my my perspective on that is it's alarming. It should be a, a crisis for all people. Right. Right. So being clear, uh, these economic conditions don't just impact black people, right? They, they in- impact the entire nation, right? right? A system that's built on inequities is, is unsustainable. Um, and I think how we address that is through entrepreneurship, Right. Through empowering uh, entrepreneurs of color, specifically black entrepreneurs. Yeah. And also through advocate to, uh, through advocating for procurement policies that are equitable, advocating for, um, you know, business opportunities. It's not that people don't need. Ha- I don't think people need handouts. D. I, I think people yeah. need opportunities. Right. right? And uh, in- internally in our own communities, you know, encouraging entrepreneurship. I didn't know very many entrepreneurs growing up. Right. I was Oh, sort absolutely. Of, same same here. I yeah. was kind of raised to get a job, work somewhere for 40 years. Right. And just call it a day. Right. right. But most of the successful brothers and sisters that I know are entrepreneurs. Right. And by successful, I don't I don't mean you can't be successful without being an entrepreneur, but uh, generational wealth level success is built through entrepreneurship. So. Right. Uh, fostering that strong pipeline of entrepreneurs, empowering black business. And then the advocacy piece is key. Right. Yeah. We can build all the great companies we want, but if they can't get opportunities and contracts, then we're not going to close that gap. Oh,
0: I agree. So, you know, and that goes to, you know, uh, access to capital. Mm-hmm. Uh access to the technical skills and resources yes. uh, necessary uh, but there's another piece that I talk to my staff about all the time and that's the the work ethic piece uh, you know one of the issues that we have I think within our communities is that sometimes you know we have a lot of young people and old that want to be entrepreneurs and they go into entrepreneurship uh, open businesses and that sort of thing but they don't have the work ethics mm-hmm. to uh, or the character to stand behind their their product, uh, and so that ends up being um, uh, an attempt, but it's uh, it's unsustainable. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, generational wealth is going to be built through being able to pass um, that business down That's from right. generation to generation. And if you create it in an unsustainable way, meaning that you don't build any any uh, infrastructure. Uh, you don't build that reputation. You don't build those systems and processes that allow that business to grow and thrive. Then you know, ultimately come to uh, to an end because when that person that's running it uh, pass away, you know it just, it just it's over. It's, it's over.
1: Yeah, you said a couple things there. the The work ethic piece, I think, is important. Right? Is is it's challenging, right? Because when we see successful people. Right. Like yourself, for instance. Right. People see you. They see you doing well. Right. They see the things that you've obtained. Right. A lot of times people equate success with things. Right. They see the things that you've obtained. They see how well you dress. Right. You're a good looking brother uh, doing your thing. That's what they that's that's all they see. Right. Wherein I think the reality is the, the beauty of it is in the journey. Right. And we have to fall in love with the journey, which is the work. Right. Uh, The one of the other reasons I knew music was for me is because whether we were somewhere overseas performing in a packed venue or was just me in my room writing songs that nobody will ever hear. I was happy. Right. And even today in the work that I do now, you know, um, it's not the awards. It's not the the speaking engagements. I enjoy the day-to-day blocking and tackling of it all Right yeah. taking a call with a small business owner saying hey, how can I help you get access to this grant? Right. Um, those are the things that are exciting to me. So I think part of the challenge is people are doing it for the wrong reasons Yeah, right. So it feels like work, right? right. Um, that's part of the challenge But the other piece is people just have to fall in love with the journey Absolutely. Um, it, when you're building something, it takes a long time. You know that. Yep. And it it might not look what it might not look like you thought it would look either. Right. 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 My music career didn't look the way I thought it was gonna look. D. I thought, drop my first album, Rolls Royces out front. You know, right. uh, all of that. It doesn't go that way. Right. I mean, for some people, it might. Right. But for 99% of all artists. It's about creating music, connecting with your fans uh, and you build a business through that. Right. Right. It's not necessarily going to be Rolls Royces overnight. And that's the same for any entrepreneurial venture. People got to love that journey.
0: Right. And and the way I would describe what you just said in similar terms is that people fall in love with the outcome, Mm -hmm. but they don't uh, respect the process. That's right. And so everyone is, you know, they're outcome driven without the work ethics. To go behind the processes necessary to achieve the goals that they want to reach. And I tell people all the time, like, you know, everybody has a good idea. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, there's no shortage in the world of good ideas. You can talk to any of your friends who may not have ever done anything substantial, and I guarantee you they've had an idea. You know, you sit around a table, sit around a room, I don't care how successful uh, the people are, everyone has a dream. Mm -hmm. Like, everyone has dreamed about achieving or accomplishing something. And even if you have achieved at the highest level, you still have more dreams. That's right. You know, you still That's have right. more things that you want to accomplish. And so you can't do any of that if you don't have the work ethics yep. and the and the discipline and the character to go behind. Uh, the process is necessary to take you yep. uh, where you need to be. A hundred
1: percent. A hundred percent. And I I, I want to build on that. And I know you we don't want to spend too much time here, but. Um, It's becoming a crisis in our community is another crisis is that you've got these businesses. I call them father father and son or father daughter businesses where uh, the first generation built this business. Right. Construction or plumbing or signs or trucking. Right. Right. And they work it until they're old enough to retire. And then they've got a, a, a successor. Who maybe is not as interested in, right. in that industry, right. or who maybe doesn't have the same work ethic that's going to apply. Right. And those businesses either go out of business or yep. are sold out of our community. Right. And so we lose that community wealth that is vital. And I think we've seen that over the past couple of generations. Yeah, right. I agree with you. Uh, and, and and I'm not p- placing all the blame on that, but there's various factors that contribute to it. But that work ethic it's kind of hard to pass on. We, You and I have to figure out how to make sure that our children right. obtain that,
0: you know? Because um, you can't teach it. Know. You know, you can't go to school. You can go to the best institution uh, in the world. But how how do they put that fire in you to where you go that extra mile mm-hmm. where you go, you know, uh, I tell people all the time, everyone that's truly committed to doing anything is going to give 100%. Mm-hmm. You go to work, you do everything they ask you to do on your job, you just gave 100%. Mm-hmm. But that's not good enough mm-hmm. when everyone that wants to get from point A to point B are all given 100 yeah. percent. So how do you get the edge on competition? How do you how do you get the edge on life? And the edge on life is like going beyond mm-hmm. above, above and beyond yeah. that 100 work, percent.
1: Work while they sleep or be innovative and do something no one else is doing. Uh, there's a, a cool quote that I, I like to share. I'm a millennial D. So everything we got is memes and, and, right. and TikToks, right. <laughs> but I saw one the other day. It said, uh I decided I didn't want to work a nine to five, so I became an entrepreneur. Nobody told me that may not be working twenty four seven. Right. Right. And right. so, it's, in order to be a successful entrepreneur, you're it, always at work. You're always at work. Right. And and, and you know that's my life. Right. Yep. I do uh, what I do with the chamber most, almost all day. Right. I mean, six a.m. to probably nine p.m. And then I'm also an entrepreneur. I still am a creative. I still do consulting. Yeah. So that's the rest of my time. Right. right. And I also have a family I want to spend time with. But I think if you're really committed. To the journey the outcomes kind of come right you right. know I mean you I'm sure right. you've been in a space where you're being celebrated for something and you're still thinking about the work you got to do right, right? you right. take a moment uh, get the trophy and, 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 and you and back to it. it right and I, I think that's when you're in your purpose I honestly do no I, I agree with you um
0: I think that uh and I can't remember who, who made the quote but they said if you're still talking about what you did yesterday. Mm-hmm. That mean you haven't done anything lately today. That's right. right. So that's right. Yeah. So it's, it's always on to the next mm-hmm. uh, goal, the next accomplishment. Yeah. So just in closing, uh, talk to me about uh, the impact that you're having here locally through the work you're doing at Chamber of Commerce.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, Peoria is a fantastic community that's had a sorted history. Right. It's kind of it's an industrial Uh, icon in the United States of America right Uh, in the beginning it was the whiskey capital of the the country most Mm -hmm. people don't know that pre-prohibition Peoria was the whiskey capital prohibition came our neighbors to Kentucky ran off and became the whiskey capital right uh, but then earth moving came. Caterpillar, Komatsu built this industrial tycoon, which really uh, is the economy that we see today here in Peoria. Caterpillar's moved its headquarters to uh, Deerfield, Illinois, still has a presence here, but it's changing the face of Peoria in that healthcare is now the primary industry here. Right. Uh, I think innovation and entrepreneurship have to support that healthcare infrastructure so that we create a real life science economy. But the key sort of mission critical thing that we're doing at the Chamber, in addition to supporting that economic growth and development, uh, in addition to workforce development as well is attracting talent to come here to Peoria right right? we 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 are losing population in the city we need people to see Peoria as a viable place to live work and play again and that's the work of the chamber right Right. getting those people here so they can help build the economy of the future and like you said Peoria's done a lot of great things in the past right? But let's move this thing forward so we have something to celebrate today. And I think there's a lot of good stuff on the horizon.
0: Absolutely. And I wish you all the luck. Thank you, brother. As you blaze new trails and help uh, make Pure a great place to live, work, and play. And thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to be on my show. And to my viewers, thank you for watching this episode of Self Made with D. Brown, CEO. And remember, without you, there's no me.